0: For fuck's sake, For fuck's sake. She did it again.
3: It's the change in microphones and stuff that I just forget to press the record button. But I noticed it. We were 30 seconds in there. So it's grand. Right, well, I want to start off. And that, to to continue on the criticism, that wasn't your strongest introduction anyway, guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You motherfucker. I'd like to say thank you for my one recommendation that I received privately through my own private email account, as I said. I know her. So it's not exciting. It, it's thank not creepy you to her. But like we've been getting loads of clothes. We've been getting, people have suggested things. Thank you. We got some really good suggestions this week into the Creep Dive DMs.
4: Yeah, the Creep Dive DMs are like a festering hole of creeps and I'm loving it. So please keep sending because mm. they are... i don't know i go in there for like it scratches a little weird itch like like deep inside and then i come back out of there again and i feel gross and creeped out and sick in my stomach which is exactly what i want from this mm,
3: my personal favorite thing is when people send suggestions and they say you can't cover this because it's happened to a friend or something and then they just like divulge a really good story (laughs) so just (laughs) Just like sitting there like reaping it in uh someone that did that in my dms this week I'll show it to you after They said you can't do So this. probably not one For the creep dive But here's a story <sighs> Well, because well these that's torture Yeah but like I mean we're only Really supposed to cover Things that are Within the pub- public realm Like that's journalism 101 If they're of value To the audience If they're interesting We can't just You know mine Someone's lives And hard times what For our, our own enjoyment Our own lives are fine We're putting ourselves Out there like Fucking idiots, But other people It's a bit more
0: Contentious I want to apologise for my all over the place. I felt I could have delivered Travis with more factoids.
4: I told you I can't even think about the wine stemmed, long stemmed wine glass without laughing my little face off. So I believe that you acquitted yourself beautifully with Travis.
0: I have proper notes this week and I would want to because the story is fucking disgusting. And a, a girl, she did say, please don't do that story and i said i'm sorry i'm doing it but i will tell you when i'm doing it so you can go away okay oh god trigger can warning. we go away no you're in now you're in with no me.
3: we started this we created this monster
0: i'm not gonna start with it because
3: okay maybe well, people will go away we should start by referencing the very topical story that's been covered this week because <gasps> of course, mine creep of the week creep of the week goes to Sophie. Take it away, <gasps> Dan f- Mallory, uh,
4: author behind uh, "The Woman in the Window." So his pen name is AJ Finn, and the New Yorker. I'm just trying to bring it up. Has just brought out the most lush, long read of the week. It's very unmasking. Dan Mallory and outing him as some kind of very prolific but very
0: untalented Mr. Ripley. Heads up, they do an audio at the very top of the page.
3: With the nicest sounding voice I've ever, ever heard. Top tip: put some new bed sheets on, get into bed, put that on. 20 minutes, you'll be out cold. That's Did disgusting. it last night.
0: I was going elsewhere with the new bed sheets and I was fucking horrified <laughs> that, that was. No, coming out of your just mouth. get yourself
3: comfy put on this nice man's relaxing voice and he'll soothe you into the best slumber I've had in a, in months. Fantastic. Get your wipe clean sheets ready. <laughs> Get your in. leather pants and try and just jizz directly onto them.
4: It's brilliant. It's brilliant. The audio is so sensational. It's a New Yorker piece called A Suspense Novelist's Trail of Deceptions. And so basically, yeah, yeah, like it's just landed um, online that this Guy Dan Mallory, who was like a fairly kind of like bright light in the publishing industry. But then as he like dig deeper, there's been lots of rumor flying about him for years. So he was a book editor and he worked in like great places like Little Brown. He kind of like worked on both sides of the Atlantic in London publishing and New York publishing. And he was like a real up and comer. But then people were like, mm, he's great on paper, but he doesn't add up. Loads of stuff is about his biography. Was just, I mean, his biography was just like rambling and nonsensical and full of plot holes, mm. which is inexcusable. He well, we kept killing off and people. He kept killing them off. back in.
3: One thing that we've seen arise again and again: multiple tragedies, like multiple, multiple tragedies, brain tumors, dead parents, cancer. You know, just. Mounting hardships Uh, Brother who died by suicide Brother dies Oh he was ruthless Family dies He killed off his entire family Entire family dead Through different circumstances It's as if one solid lie Just isn't enough for these creeps I think
4: it's like a pyromania Mm. Because not only are they kind of like they're impelled to tell the lies but then the lies catch fire by themselves because of the people who are receiving the lies mm. and quite reasonably thinking well who the fuck would fake having
3: cancer mm-hmm. ah, and give cancer to and his give entire cancer family to others. all
4: every one of his family are alive and well
3: Question. every one of them question yeah did it remind you of any other Wealthy male authors of our time. Loads, loads of them actually. Like who?
4: Absolutely loads of them.
3: Like James Frey. <gasps> yeah.
4: Who's I he? don't think we should talk about James Frey right now because I think he warrants a full creep dive.
3: Oh, okay. James Frey is my short story of the week, and oh, yeah. I don't think oh, that he. D- I don't think that he deserves a full creep dive because oh, so it's quite succinct. That you're doing him. Oh um, no, I'm so excited. Okay. So James Frey let me get comfortable now, right? Um, James Frey is a best-selling author and in 2003 he published a memoir called A Million Little Pieces. Does this ring any bells? No. So this was a really well-received memoir about his struggle with addiction and his overcoming um, years of alcoholism and drug abuse to kind of you know, he he just, his rehabilitation back into society and his learnings as a person. I read it through my um very specific phase that I went through from the ages of maybe 13 to 15. I mentioned this earlier on, of solely reading memoirs of people who were either in gangs or suffered from drug addiction. Hmm. Really fascinating genre of literature, I find. Yes. And I read this book before the controversy came to light. So key dates here, right? It was published in April 2003. It kind of did well. Um, it was a story of crime, uh, eventual uh, healing, sobriety, and then posit- it got like a positive reception. Amazon.com actually selected as their favorite book of the year in 2003. The book is basically from James's perspective that at the age of 23, he wakes up on a plane to find his two front teeth knocked out and his nose broken and he's no idea how he got on the plane um, or where the plane was headed and he had no recollection of the previous two weeks. um, Like the book opens that he's covered in vomit and spit and stuff and he's kind of like come to and just doesn't understand where he is. Anyway, soon after the plane lands, he is checked into a rehab facility and um, he's told that he needs to either stop using drugs or he'll die by the age of 24 kind of goes on to say that he's been on, he's been taking drugs and he's been drinking for the past 10 years. So f- from the time, you know, from 13, an early teenager. Um, so he goes on to tell this kind of incredible story about his drug addiction and his suffering and how susceptible he was to addiction. So there's really graphic details in this book and there's like quite these incredible events that have led to this turning point where he's decided to get his life back on track. Um, and some of the events include that he has to undergo back-to-back root canal treatment, um, and he is for he can't he can't go under anaesthetic because he's that susceptible to addiction. So he's forced to go through the like back-to-back root canal treatments. As someone who is currently going through a root canal treatment, not pleasant. One is unpleasant. Imagine getting the four or five that he claims he has to get. Um, And he says that no anesthetic, nothing. So he actually he's squeezing on tennis balls so tightly that he breaks his fingernails. This is the kind of harrowing detail we come to expect from a million little pieces. Um, And he there's this pivotal moment in the book where he realizes that his life has gone to shit and he's actually putting himself in danger. And it's this uh, car crash in which he knocks down a police officer. And he says that He's high on crack and alcohol. He hits a police officer with his car. He reacts really violently to the arrest. Um, he's charged with assault and he has a deadly weapon and he's found with drugs and he um he goes on these kind of this rampage of slurs against the police officers and it results in him being prisoned being in prison for eighty seven days. And this is it's during that kind of jail time that he really thinks about wanting to get his life on uh, track. So there's some of the details in the book. book performed quite well, but it really took off in 2005 in October when Oprah selected for her book club. And it was the first time in three years that a living author had been (coughs) selected as the author of choice for the book club. You mean anointed. Yeah, like this is... Anointed by Oprah. This is like an incredible... Like it just, the, the the result of being in Oprah's book club mm. had on the sales of this book were just like phenomenal, right? Yeah. Now she had a show, she gave him a, a special show in October 2005 called The Man Who Kept Oprah Awake at Night in which she talked about the book. Um, she had people from her staff come on and say that, you know, they, they were all reading it. She said that they were um, staying they were staying up at night. They were reading it. They were coming in the next day. They were asking each other what page they were on. They were like that obsessed with this book. And it was a total kind of. Um, sort of turn in direction. From the usual type of books. that Which they Which were self-help. Usually self-help kind of. Yeah books yeah. Or whatever. But that this book was so powerful. It changed their thinking. They were obsessed. It it brought them to tears. Um, did
0: you, what did you think?
3: I mean it's a good book. It is a really good book. Um like it's there's a load of books in this genre, like there's a really famous one about, about a guy called Nicky cruz called run baby run um and it's up there with that now, like Nicky Cruz was in a gang, and like people died and killed people it's, but this was you know it was considered that Frey was he was he he kind of said that he was wanted in three states for various crimes there was various different tallies of how many crimes he was supposedly wanted for and how many warrants there were out for his arrest but like he made it seem like he was a hardened criminal had really fallen victim to drug abuse and um really was at a point of complete rock bottom and had managed to turn his life around and it was also kind of it was a fantastical book because he meets all these amazing characters in it through rehab in jail and um like there's do you remember the woman who dies yeah and that's the emotional the payoff
4: of these people that were in his life
3: there's a lot of it's yeah, a huge part of the book there's like four or five kind of key characters that he meets that really alter him as a person and change his perspective but they are either like they get one gets like life imprisonment one uh, one dies uh, one I think like disappears or like he loses with them it all comes you know these are all people who cannot Speak now And
4: It definitely has to be Noted James Frey Very All American Good looking Yes White guy Mm. That's the
3: thing He's not The package Yeah he looks it doesn't quite like, add
4: up, but like he looks great.
3: He's like a good. He looks looking, great for it. He's a good-looking young dad. Like, yeah, do you know? yeah. Do he
4: remember, could be a, he could be like a YouTube dad now. That's the yeah. kind of level of kind of
0: attractive. Did he Oprah interview him?
3: Yeah. So Oprah did right. interview him after this, basically, right? So, um, after the segment on Oprah, and after after the segment. He wasn't featured in that segment. He was featured in that segment, but he wasn't interviewed on TV in that segment in October 2005. They were just talking about the book, added it to the book club. It, like, soared after that, right? After she recommended it, went to the top of the New York Times nonfiction bestsellers list and it stayed there for 15 weeks at the top and after her recommendation sold 3.5 million copies. Incredible, like. Making this guy very rich. Making his... Quite um, His literary agent, who was quite unknown at the time, also very successful, right? Did
0: anybody ad- start sniffing around his surely at this point? Yes.
3: So in January 2006, a website called The Smoking Gun published a six-week-long investigation revealing the book was full of lies. <gasps> like... A Million Little Lies. The piece was called A Million Little Lies and it basically undermined pretty much everything that he had claimed in the book okay the story of where he assaulted the police officer resulting in his imprisonment was revealed to be that he was actually issued two traffic tickets one for driving under the influence and one for driving without a license he received a misdemeanor criminal summons for having an open bottle of beer in the in his car he spent five hours in police custody custody and was released on after a 733 dollar cash bond it's quite different from the 87 days in jail that he claimed to have um of of had there's Did another incident in the book where he uh talks about being in a in a train crash and there was an actual train accident and it two female high school students died in it but in his in the book he kind of appropriates himself as, uh, as a serious victim as this of the in, in the in the crash he kind of puts himself on par as a, as a third victim but a mother of one of the dead girls actually said um, that he had nothing to do with the accident and she just figured he was kind of taking liberties as a writer to sort of embellish Um and she just kind of you know, just thought it was odd but didn't really do anything about it. Um, the smoking gun, like there's, there's like the six page kind of report from the smoking gun which they like investigate every minor detail of the book. Um, and before they published the piece they actually confronted him and they tried to interview him a couple of times I think they. I think they interviewed him three times, and in the second, after the second interview, he started getting panicked, and he said, "There's nothing at this point that can come out of this conversation that is going to be good for me." So he knew his game was up. Like he really knew because he got he got a lawyer after that then as well, how and could there was you let a, it
0: go so far. Oh, how but do I, go I to think. Sleep at night? But, I don't think he anticipated how fucking large the book was going to be. Okay, long, like, and of know. course, with this publicist everyone's like, "We well, can't fucking pull the plug on this because we're all making and money."
3: It was, it was years as well after it. Actually it was landed. years that it ha- after it happened. It now was there's kind of a, of a lot delayed of, wave. Of there's a lot interest. of yeah, and there's a lot of interesting points about this. His manuscript was rejected seventeen times before it was published as a memoir. So perhaps it was a case that he was trying to publish it originally as a kind of fiction fiction or like loose mm. inspired by true events okay. and then it was when he um maybe then he changed it to it being a memoir, a memoir. To sell it. yeah um initially when these kind of reports started to surface Oprah stood by him and she was like the premise of the book and the inspirational nature of the book is still the same it 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 talks about rehabilitation after drugs it's still uh, very worthwhile to people um in 2000 later in 2006 he went on Larry King with his mother and he defended his decision to, to call the book a memoir. And he uh, defended, he said there were just minor details that he embellished for literary effect. Um, what was his mother doing there? I think he just brought his mom along for like moral support. Support. I think she was like standing by him saying that a lot of the details were true or kind of whatever. Um, He referred to the reality of his addiction and he had said in The Point as well that like when he was... It was. It's interesting that he had said in the book that during his addiction he did have a problem with lying and he used to lie really frequently to get out of things mm. um, when he was in the throes of addiction. Oprah called into the end of the segment at Larry King and uh, defended the book and said that it was still an inspiration and still recommended it to people and that um, she had actually spoken to the publisher who had... Uh, Assessed the book's authenticity And she stood by it And that they say it's, it's authentic And Frey had claimed that there was Over 400 pages of proof That the instances in the book had occurred Oprah had too much skin in the game by then Yeah she couldn't she back could, down She had to stay face by just
0: Absolutely could not back it, down if it, if it was good it, Like it's ground You know it's inspirational You know it's a story after all
4: Call it a novel Right,
3: is that the problem? Hell to the you yes, don't that's the problem. You don't Yeah. Um, at the end of January 2006, Oprah brought him onto the show and uh, she wanted to hear from him directly on whether he had out and out lied or whether he would simply embellished the minor details as he had said to Larry King. Uh, but it was on the Oprah show that Frey admitted to several of the allegations against him and he admitted that there were, that the smoking gun had basically been accurate in their entire report. Um, Winfrey then brought out Frey's publisher, Nan Talis, to defend her decision to classify the book as a memoir. um. Then Talise admitted that she had actually done none of the fact-checking that she had said she had done, that she had not Uh. done anything to check the books. (laughs) Veracity, um, despite that her representatives continually told Oprah and other people in press releases that all their due diligence had been done and they had classed it as brutally honest. They kind of admitted then that actually it had not... um, Oh, they're basically being holed up in front of Oprah. Yeah. To I mean, and like
4: explain themselves to the person who's in charge of integrity in the world. And, <laughs> and um,
3: yeah, so James Frey had written the book. He'd actually written a follow up to the book in 2004 called My Friend Leonard. Um, and basically what happened was, this is the best part, because obviously he's a white American man. Yeah, he's totally fine. Totally fine. Got a slap on the wrist. Changed it from uh, non-fiction to, to fiction. Uh, it chopped topped the charts then in the fiction charts. Um, his follow-up, he it probably had a bit of a renaissance after. Kind of, I think it, it just, more. I think people. And you know what? It actually is a good book. Like, Do you it's think a good book.
0: Just looking for a refund.
3: People did look for refunds so there was a lot of people who claimed they wanted refunds or whatever and then he was dropped by his publisher mm-hmm. and then a follow-up book deal he had like a six figure I think it was a six or seven figure book deal for two more books he was dropped by the publisher um, and Swiftly he
0: picked up by somebody else
3: yeah and his publicist or his pub well his nan Talese, famously dropped him and saying that she couldn't trust him they were both kind of made to look foolish but then he went on to write 16 more books. Yeah, just have a really 16. steady, decent He's career. He's got a really steady career. He's currently worth about $4.5 million. His... Um, Loyal fan base. Die uh, high fans. Another book he wrote not long after. I think it was his third or fourth book, Bright Shiny Morning. Another New York Times bestseller. Um, he has a... So he writes a mixture of YA books and uh, adult literature. He has a publishing function that again came under massive controversy when he he started a um a publishing house for young for YA books. He wanted to create commercial content a la Twilight. He said that from the start. And then when a graduate writer uh, shared her very, very sort of constricted contract he again came under controversy there was was another headline and other pieces about how he was basically creating this um fiction factory he was only paying his writers like 250 dollars terms of the contract said that he could uh, remove the writers from the project any time he didn't have to pay them rights really really vile kind of um contracts but um he seems to have published a fuckload of titles out of it and yeah so he's just Another thriving white man in this world who built himself and all the success on lies. Fake it till you make it. That's James Frey. I just
0: the feeling that he was shitting himself though.
4: I don't think he fucking was. I'd say only momentarily. And then he was like, I'll spin this. Defo. If anyone wants to catch up with James Frey, like in the now, he did Elizabeth Day's podcast, How to Fail. Um, just for Christmas And it's an interesting episode Did really he? Really uh, yeah. Did Yeah And is there any remorse out of him like No No Zero zilch Nada So what was he doing On Does how to fail
0: shame? then? Acknowledging just, that he oh, failed Oh just
4: talking himself Up to fuck Sure he loves himself As they all do it Takes a certain kind Of ignorant
0: courage So that's
4: To, r- to lie to Oprah My to god
0: look her well, Lindsay Lohan Did it And now Watching her <laughs> Have you Sorry uh, Bit um, of a segue. Beach party, Lindsay Lohan. No, I'm not. I'm not. Bit of a segue. <laughs> it's fucking
3: amazing. I don't know. I feel uneasy watching anything with Lindsay Lohan in it. I just it's her accent is
0: so weird. She's back to American. Is she? <laughs> yeah. It's a bit it's still a bit like affected. Odd. It's because she's off her head. How and ever. Um <laughs> yeah, well, she she's not listening. I have a theme is emerging. Why are that you? That was so also much fun.
4: I love James Frey's story. Uh like you I was obsessed with um pieces as well. And yes, we have a distinct theme that has emerged very organically here because we never know the stories we're going to tell. Is it lying white men? Yes. No, close. Well, it's okay, we're like, staying in the That's the, the theme world for this entire books.
3: podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We've covered <laughs> we've lying covered women. The women.
4: Um, loads of women. No, we're staying in the world of books for my one.
3: Okay. Or will well, we do it? Are yeah. we ready? Yeah. Let's go with yours and then we're gonna come back for a, a nightcap with Mr. Hands. Well, that
4: might make it easiest as well for the people who want to tap out on Mr. Yeah. Hands. I'm gonna keep it
3: this is like <laughs> we've got the regular creep dive and then we'll have the creep dive after dark.
4: Okay. Okay. The creep dive after dark. Okay.
0: Hello. Hi. And what's welcome. your what's your butt uh, the, the give us the nugget or whatever butt nugget of interest? The
3: butt nugget of interest. Yeah, a little
0: chewy number. Okay. There was, it
4: was hard to boil this one down. Because I kind of want to do a thing here with how I'm going to tell you guys the story. So the headline slash tagline or whatever I've come up with is, The liar who spoofed the world.
0: Okay, it's So this is
4: big. And hat tip to listener Lisa Cohen. Who slid on into mine and said, you gotta do this. And I was like, hell to the fuck, yes, I do. This story was one of the kind of urge OG stories that I was like, if we do this podcast, this person is... Have I mean, we, we we are we going to cover. have heard of this person? That's the funny thing about this person. So it's so big... And I think anyone who knows it is going to know it in depth. And anyone who doesn't know it is going to be like, what? Where was I?
3: Okay, I'm so I kind of... of checked
4: it with a few different people where I kind of just called them up and was like, I'm just going to say a name and you tell me what you're getting. And I checked it with like a person who'd studied English in Trinity, for example, and that person didn't know.
3: Look... I would do us, in. do I us two regular salutes who've never graced the halls of Trinity know about this person. <laughs> do
0: you think Sophie's graced the halls of Trinity? Because she hasn't. No. She has, <laughs>
3: abso-
4: she
0: has absolutely
4: not. Um, look, it's like with all creep dives though as well. Like, you know, even if you know the story, like you never know it to the, like we go deeper than any normal person has time for it. Mm-hmm. And like on that, I have... I have two modes of research today because this is complex. I have digital and I have analog.
3: Do you have so. first person accounts and, and, and primary research again?
4: Because <laughs> I like Do that. You, I did set the bar high last week. Okay,
3: so I want to tell you. Just about to a give kid. readers, sorry, just the last time I'll interrupt you, Jen and I have both reclined and put our feet up. <laughs> <laughs> to
0: prepare for this story I Well I just know we're going to be here for the next three and a half hours So <laughs> I might as well get Have you gone to the toilet? <laughs> Fuck you Does anyone need to wee wee before we go?
4: <laughs> I'm like squatting in front of my research Poised
3: I think if we keep interrupting her, she's her head is actually going to explode because all we've heard for the last couple of days is the excitement of telling this story. Oh god, shit! I've really fucking blown my
4: load into our fucking WhatsApp group overnight, and now I'm going to like absolutely just get a semi chode and. Can you ch- choke this out so badly? Start the fucking
3: story. I think we're I building the tension. Can I, or do you want
4: to interrupt again?
3: Are we building the tension for the readers, or is this really fucking no, annoying, it's annoying listeners? It's annoying. Okay, sorry.
4: <laughs> for me. Okay, I want to tell you about a boy, okay? A boy called Jeremiah. He was born in 1980. Of this we can be fairly certain. On Halloween in West Virginia. So West Virginia is like Clarice Starling country. Do you remember how Clarice Starling talks? And she talks about like the silence of the lambs. And oh, yeah. he was a good man. Daddy was a good man. I love when she does this. Okay. So that's the voice. <laughs> it's rural. You know. It's, it's kind of perceived as a little bit kind of backwater kind of ville. And Jeremiah was born into a chaotic childhood with a disturbed mother. Her name was Sarah. He was placed in foster care from about the age of zero to four before his mum, Sarah, came back for him. God. And took him from his foster parents and arguably took him out of this, I suppose, average, stable home. And Sarah was a disturbed individual and she had kind of suffered patterns of abuse in her own life. And visited them on Jeremiah, kind of all she knew. So now it was all he knew. But he he loved his mother. He was obsessed with her, actually really obsessed. Like that attachment kind of warped and became a longing to be like her. So through the 80s and stuff, he grew up in this really, really bizarre situation with his mom who was what was known then as a lot lizard. Who the, Which, which now? So in West Virginia, there's a lot of truck stops. And at these truck stops, we have sex workers. They all called themselves lot lizards. And there is this kind of community sense among these women who, you know, basically worked with the truckers.
0: Servicing the truckers. Servicing as they the
4: truckers. And they were all f- like addicted. They were, you know, on the kind of the bottom rung of society. And that's where Jeremiah kind of grew up. And he, I suppose, like inevitably became what he saw. A lot lizard. Yeah. (laughs) He did. Yeah. So he saw Sarah basically was in and out of his life. And he was kind of passed around from kind of like sort of acquaintances of hers. Fellow sex workers, basically. And he was kind of just relied on the kind of charity of these people. There was others like him. This is now coming into the kind of early 90s. He's a te- Like a really young teenage boy. But I think part of like because of his kind of obsession with his mom and things like that, he from a really kind of young age kind of was quite fluid in terms of gender and wanted to wear lipstick and dresses. And he kind of posed as a girl boy and he actually kind of became hooked up with this pimp who kind of
0: specialized. Mm. Let's put it that way. Was he underage going in there? Oh yeah. Oh God.
4: This was like a vile landscape. But, and so he kind of wound up, he got out of West Virginia and he wound up on the streets of San Francisco hustling was a junkie. He was just trying to get by. And it's kind of all he'd ever known. You know? Yeah. So, Streets of San Francisco, he is constantly in... He's in crisis because he's so traumatised from his his childhood and stuff like that. He rings um, a crisis hotline for teenage boys. And this is pivotal in his life. It's about 94... He's like fourteen, so young, but he's already had this life that is just inconceivable, and he's just been alone forever. By this stage, Sarah has actually taken her own life, or died by suicide, and um, so he rings this crisis hotline, and through some like serendipitous, you know, collision of events, he finds he's connected to this psychiatrist called Dr. Terence Owens, who just connects with them. At first, there are conversations, always by telephones, all through this hotline. Their conversations, he's slowly kind of trying to build a rapport with this frail-sounding individual who's still, at this point, living on the streets. And um, they, they really connect. And basically, Dr. Owens becomes completely instrumental In like rehabilitating Jeremiah and also like radically altering the course of his life in a way that nobody could have ever predicted. So he helps him to gain a home with a social worker called Emily Frazier and her partner. And that's like the first step, the first move towards like the first stability he'll have ever known. He talks for hours and hours and hours on end on the phone with Dr. Owens. They talk about his past. They talk about the things he went through at the truck stops. They talk about how he copes with it all now, his ambitions. And Dr. Owens advises him to start writing to help process what he's experienced. And um, he starts to share his writing with um, Dr. Owens, who is like, okay, hang on. You really have something here. Like, this could be your way out of all this. You you need to pursue this. You have a raw talent here. He's a psychiatrist, but it's, you know, he's very well connected. Mm -hmm. And he just can see something in this kid. And he's like, you know, can I share your writing with some friends? And he actually... And as I said, Dr. Owens actually has like some serious connections and, um, you know, he shares his writing with some like really big writers of the day, like um, a guy called Dennis Cooper that wrote this book called Try that is about drug addiction as well. And like was like Jeremiah's Bible, Mm. like there is like, you know, this sort of Jeremiah kind of like picked up this kind of like disparate, incongruous kind of education. Through the truck stops, there was a John, as he calls him, client, who'd like given him this book by this writer, Dennis Cooper. And the next thing he knows, Dennis Cooper is like phoning him and saying, I read your story. You're amazing. And obviously it's like completely blowing Jeremiah's mind. And so he becomes like, he basically kind of gathers around him this kind of circle of mentors and writers who really want
0: to help him and big him up. Because of and his And he's tragic. only in his
4: late teens, like he's kind of about, he's just turning 17.
0: Are they doing this because of his story or because of his work or because of the combination?
4: I think it's the combination, but the work does stand on its own. Okay. Um, because I remember reading his first book. Because we were like just teenagers ourselves and it's coming out. What's it called? It's called Sarah's The First One. And it came out like literally when I was about 14. And I remember reading it and being like really blown away because it was... By the standard of his writing. Was so yeah. crazy. I mean, I was 14. I don't know if I was there going, oh my God, his writing. But everything, the combination of it all, like he was yeah. 17 years old. And this book was massive. But say before the book came out, he kind of... Um, like he'd gotten into a kind of an anthology of short stories called Close to the Bone, and that was kind of the first notice. And um, he kind of struck with the kind of wider consciousness. So like the New York Times picked up on this anthology that he was featured in. So he was just one of many, many writers. But the reviewer um, named his as like the most startling standout piece um, in this book. And um, he'd published it so it was written by him at at 17 and he published it under a pseudonym because he was so terrified of his past Mm -hmm. catching up with him and things like that and dr owens was like really trying to coax him out of the trauma and kind of trying to see how he could make this work and like that he needed to share his voice and stuff so he published it under a pseudonym terminator and uh this story kind of totally blew the kind of New York publishing scene's mind. And they were all like, we need to know who this guy is. Like, you know, he's 17 years old. He's got a voice. And he really, really, really does have a voice. And um, so the next thing he knows, he's got an agent with the most a- New York agent name ever. It's like Ira Silverstein. And, <laughs> no, Silverberg, sorry. And uh, he's got a book deal. And in 1997, his first book, Sarah, um, is published. Two wide acclaim and he it's like with the book comes this huge mythology about him you know he's extremely publicity shy but and the book is fiction but it's I mean it's basically kind of uh, marketed as you know like heavily kind of autobiographical Mm -hmm. fiction Okay, and so there's lots of details about his years as a lot lizard. It's kind of told from the vantage point of a young child, and all about Sarah, his mother. Mm-hmm. And there's stuff like so the book captures the imagination of like this particular set of like late '90s celebrities, where like Winona fucking Ryder is like thanking him in her like acceptance speech for awards and stuff, even though like. Totally unconnected. Like, she's basically like, there's this guy who's made this work. He's brought this work into the world and I I channeled it for this role. Can
0: I ask at this point, who is, who's Jeremiah's agent? Like, who's... Ira ever- Silver. Okay, so this, this not, this isn't the psychologist from the start.
4: No, but the psychologist actually stays with him, like, for years and years. Their relationship spans, like, a decade okay. or more.
0: So he remains the first person who discovered him. Yeah. So can verify. oh discovered him yeah
4: I mean I guess yeah 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 well he certainly was instrumental in passing Jeremiah's work on okay. to key people like ma- like major major authors were really into him and really into like um, pushing his career and things like that who'd met him but then the celebs came
0: okay had has was had he been vi- met
4: oh no he never ever wanted to be seen. T- he did phone interviews but he was very very publicity shy he was mm. obsessed with obs- protecting his identity because of his upbringing and stuff like that and like with the kind of mad hoopla around sarah came merch so he had this thing there was like this talisman that he described in the book sarah and um, so um
0: when his mum book, die again
4: his but bo- the mum died when he was kind of just before his teens. Sorry, I'm just piecing
0: this together. There's no one to verify. He's still anonymous, effectively. He's still effectively anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. he's a
3: young child. But he's yeah, he's seventeen. He is, like. like he's you know. Okay, so he w- It's understandable. He's gone through hardship. Stop doubting him. All right. right okay. Let's get back to the story.
4: Okay, and so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he does he does do interviews and everything. This is a quote from an Observer interview. That was uh, done in 2001. It's a world, uh, so it's, um, sorry. So this is what his, his whole work takes place in this white trash world of hookers, abusers and street hustlers. It's a world he's well qualified to write about since he spent most of his teens with his truck stop prostitute mother who drew him into a nomadic life of drugs, destitution and abuse. The raccoon penis is a reminder of his hustler times at truck stops across Southern America. So, what? Mm-hmm. The pendant is a sexual talisman in the southern states. What does it look like? It looks like a bone. It's a raccoon Earth. penis bone and it's quite long. It's like about that long. And it's like a bone inch, and it's curved and he wears it on like a leather thong around his neck. It. And after Sarah comes out, there's a huge run on raccoon penis bone merch.
0: <laughs> is he benefiting from that? Oh, yeah. Brilliant, And like people like Courtney
4: Love are like wearing their raccoon penis bone and people like Johnny Depp and people. Okay. Anyway. so we Brilliant.
3: Go, he's, the he's, need to pick up my phone and Google this is like,
4: ah, <laughs> you will see, you will see um, them when we, I show you all the pictures of the raccoon penis bone. So basically he just was, um, he was just this kind of Insta celeb. His friend, um, Asia Argento, who's an Italian actress, she was actually um, Anthony Bourdain's partner.
0: Oh, yes.
4: Um, she was also huge in calling out Harvey Weinstein. That's right. Do you right. remember? She yes, was one of the very yes, first yes. people. And actually, funny enough, this film... Um, She's now up for char- on charges of... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, she... Um, <laughs> basically made a film adaptation of his second book that starred, like, Winona Ryder, Peter Fonda, and Marilyn Manson. All these people were in his circle. Um, he didn't want to do readings of his own work because he was so reclusive and frightened of publicity and stuff like that. And so, like, famous celebrities would step up and do readings of his work for him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He became, like... BFs with Gus Van Sant. Who the fuck is that? He's the director. He directed Elephant. Do you remember that movie that they made about Columbine? Funny enough, um, yeah, Jeremiah yes, 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 yes. wrote the script for that film It was very controversial And he was dropped from the script But they still credit him as an so associate producer on that film He's
0: best friends forever with these people But he's just he talking conduct- to them on the phone or something Oh my god
4: Endless, endless, endless right. phone conversations Michael Jackson these style. people. Yeah There's like reams and reams of audio actually Of celebrity voicemails And um, that Jeremiah kept As kind of like souvenirs and stuff like that And people like Tom Waits leaving him messages Billy Corgan is like, hey, it's the Corganator. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody friggin' loved him. So, in 2001, when Aja Argento wanted to make, so it was the second book that she had optioned to make a film called? The second book was called The Heart is a Deceitful Above All Things and it was a collection of stories that kind of made up a kind of a loose novel and kind of was kind of almost like a prequel to Sarah. So it was more about his childhood years than about the truck stop years. And um, so it was then that he really started to connect more physically with his celebrity fan base. (gasps) So he met Agi Argento and he and Agi Argento actually started a relationship. And they were making this film together. So he, he was... And this was in, like, 2001. So he went to Italy to, you know, visit the set. Is they he really,
0: really connected. Presenting as a male or female now? Um, it's
4: ambiguous. And, like, from the start, his work has always kind of covered that. Like, he has said of his childhood, we would go to different towns and... Sarah, his mother, would change our names. I could be a boy, I could be a girl. She would be whoever she wanted to be. We could be brother and sister. Usually we were sisters because she found that men were more threatened if she had a son or a brother. But if we were girls, that was more allowed. So so he's always kind of had that sort of fluidity there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he looks like if Macaulay Culkin dressed up as Michael Jackson, who, I don't know. Yeah, it looks almost like yeah. as if Kurt Cobain, Macaulay Culkin and Michael Jackson had a child together. So he's not... strange three-way he, that produced a child Okay, from not, three men. Not clearly one of the... Uh, he could pass yeah. for either. Yeah. Yeah. Quite feminine looking. Oh, yeah. And his voice was really distinctive, like very light, very feminine, very, you know, I have my raccoon bone penis. It's like my sexual
0: talisman. Why am I getting Quite Michael, Michael Jackson?
4: Jackson? Yeah, right. I think it's just because I'm using my same voice that I do for Michael Jackson. You Sorry, did. did the whole yeah. just, just
0: telephone communication. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah, and such. Entrenched is the twist
3: that this was Michael Jackson?
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So anyway, he's in Italy and like doing promo for the film, and like he's becoming this mega star, like he's on the cover of Vanity Fair, surrounded by. Or sorry, he's in Vanity Fair, surrounded by Tatum O'Neill, Rosaria Dawson, Winona Ryder, Asia Argento, and Debbie Harry. Everyone is his friend. Shirley Manson wrote a song about him. Courtney Love leaves messages on his answering machine. At one point, she's like, hang on a sec, I just have to do a line of coke. Goes off off the telephone for a minute. Comes back, just barely breaks a flow in the message she's leaving. Um, who else is he friends with? He scores Michael Pitt at one point. You remember Michael Pitt who was in Dawson's Creek? Yeah. It is this kind of like who's who of late 90s celebrity. And you remember like in the 90s it was like there was much more kind of like a grunge aesthetic. And like people were actually less conservative than they fucking are now. Yeah. And uh, he was just a fucking absolute I don't know, like just source of complete fascination, but also people just had a lot of empathy for him and they wanted to help him and protect him. He was obviously really
0: charming. If he felt that these relationships, he was able to... Like, was he quite manipulative? He was really quiet. Like he, everyone, but, Oh who, how fascinating So he just let famous people talk about themselves But that was probably part, of, part of, of his allure yeah.
3: There is so much power in silence Like mm. sometimes if I'm in a situation And people are talking I'll stay quiet and people assume that I'm smart But I'm mm. actually just not contributing To the conversation Because I don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs>
0: That <laughs> well, explains a him, lot castle. They <laughs> just
4: inferred a lot On him And basically allowed and he kind of allowed them to kind of believe that he found social interaction incredibly difficult. and mm. um, which you know, I don't know how much it, like I don't know, like his days as a hustler versus now he's very reclusive, very shy, very retiring, but like obviously it's kind of a defense. Mechanism. If he's seventeen, is Can he, he on, is he on a, his own? No, he's like not like seventeen at one this stage. He's 21, like he's still really Yeah, Ill.
3: Jen, the passing of time. Oh, right, and, oh, right. and he's
4: not on his own. He actually has like a really close kind of manager slash handler person who's called Speedy and she travels with him. And she's she suspect. Mm, Here we go. She's English oh, from England. Right. Um, so any. I'm doing a bad English accent for a reason, you'll realize. So anyway, like so the pinnacle of his fame is perfectly exemplified. And here's our Irish connection. I do always enjoy finding them around this time, he was given the Bono talk. You know about the Bono talk? No. Mm-mm. The Bono talk is famous in Hollywood and in celebrity circles. Basically Bono like ambushes fresh, new, young, talented meats and like goes and takes them under his old Bono wing and kind of tells them how to be famous. It's really famous. He do- and he does it for loads of different people. If you Google the Bono talk, it's definitely a real thing. So, okay. So we'll leave him there in Italy, hooked up with Asia Argento.
3: Can I tell you about somebody else for a
4: minute? Okay, yeah. Okay.
3: Oh, we've switched from the laptop to the handwritten notes. We're on both.
4: So, let me tell you about Laura Albert. Never heard of her. She was born in 1965. She's American. Between 1965 and 1994... I don't have a lot of concrete details about Laura Albert. Nineteen sixty-five
3: and nineteen ninety-four. Yeah, so, so that's a span thirty-nine of years.
4: Thirty years. Thirty. Yeah. Who cares? Thirty years. I don't have a lot here that is like corroborated by any narrator more reliable than Laura Albert herself. She grew up. She definitely had a sister. Her parents split when she was a young girl. Where is she from? She's from the States. She, her dad left the family. Her mother had boyfriends. There, it's been intimated that she may have suffered some abuse at the hands of these men. That is absolutely... Uncooperated. Unsubstantiated as far as I can find. But she has attested to this. She was very... Consumed with controlling people. She loved to control her sister and dress her sister up. And she loved her Barbies, but she played with her Barbies very differently to how other little girls played with their Barbies. I saw one picture of her as a child, and she had all the Barbies lined up behind her, naked, on all fours. What? Yeah, with their, like, their ass to the camera. Very. What age was she? she I mean, she looked about eight, maybe. Yikes! Yikes! So, hmm, she was really into the punk scene. She had major self-esteem issues. She was overweight, but she was like deeply, deeply focused on this. And I think she definitely had like clinical sort of issues, perhaps body dysmorphia, and something like that. She, in her kind of teens and through the 80s, she was committed repeatedly by family members to psychiatric institutions. Then, eventually, she became a ward of the state. Mm. Infer on that what you will. God. Um, Now, this ultimately was reasonably okay for Laura. She moved into a home for young girls and I, I think kind of started to flourish in that she discovered the punk scene around that time. And she really loved the kind of theatre of the punk scene and the kind of dressing up and the elaborate kind of mm. personas of the punk scene. She kind of started getting into relationships, but she still had this really dysfunctional relationship with her own body. She um, worked for a time as like a fo- on a phone sex hotline. Oh. And... She wrote a very um, quite well regarded sexpert column under the pseudonym Laura Victoria in the kind of early 90s in a kind of the zine scene. Do you know the way kind of then there was a kind of a real DIY sort of magazine scene? In I the love States that. And yeah, bring stuff. it back. And um, so she but she was still a troubled person. She'd moved in with her partner. He was, like, in a band. They were kind of in a band together. They were very in the music scene. His name was Jeff Noop. And they were kind of getting on. Like, she was basically kind of, like, hitting her late 20s, kind of 30. She was um, expecting her first child with Jeff. And she was just still very troubled. And she had a habit of ringing teen crisis lines Here we go Uh, Uh-huh So in 1994 Teen crisis lines Teen crisis lines and she is a 30 year old soon to be mother of one In
3: 1994 she is a 30 year old woman soon to be mother of one Mm Mm-hmm I know you're going to connect the dots now but remind me when Jeremiah she
4: has throughout her kind of late teens and early twenties had this habit this habitual thing of ringing teen crisis lines and adopting the voice and mannerisms of young boys
0: she's
3: hip
4: okay she's Jeremiah So.
3: who the fuck is Jeremiah physically
4: so good point actually let me rock and roll through this In 1994, she rings Dr. Terrence Owens. She says, I'm Jeremiah, and I have a raccoon penis bone, and my mama was Sarah, and I love my mama. Brilliant. And I was a lot lizard in West Virginia.
0: And it all began. And it all
4: began. Terrence Owens encouraged Jeremiah to write his stories down. (gasps) Did he not? She wrote his his stories down,
3: but did Tara Owens never meet him in person? No,
4: never met him in person.
0: Who the fuck was your one going out with? Um, as your Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. God, because
4: this is a good
3: story. Thank well,
4: you. Well. <laughs> no. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Look, this is this is complex, right? So I've got like I've got two ha- pages of handwritten to try and keep these characters in fucking straight. So, she wrote the original story that was featured in that anthology under the pseudonym Terminator. Okay. It was huge. It was a huge success. She got an agent. She got a book deal. But so, so much of it was riding on the...
0: <coughs>
4: Remind me. ...supposed biography... Of this 17-year-old ex-hustler, ex-junkie, ex-son-of-a-lot lizard, Jeremiah.
0: Okay, Terminator was written by Jeremiah, yeah. as far as everyone was concerned. concerned.
3: Yes, but he published it under a pseudonym. And it was this short story in an anthology of short stories that gained him notoriety. And he got the write-up in the New York Times. And got he the book too. He got the agent, he got the, the But he did...
4: So He needed a fuller name. So what did. she gave him was... What
3: did he call the piece, the short story? Did you give us the title? This title of
4: that story was called Baby Doll. Okay. It was in an anthology called Close to the Bone. I think I told you the name of the anthology, Close to the Bone.
3: Right, but he did publish these works as fiction. Yes.
4: Okay. But very much sold on the premise that they were the work of a 17-year-old ex-hustler, ex-lot wizard yes, with yes, a raccoon yes. penis yes. bone tethered around his neck. Right. He's also HIV positive. Okay. Sure, okay. Why wouldn't he be? And obviously, a lot of you know question marks around gender fluidity yes. slash transgender. Very interesting. Basically, a lot of boxes ticked. A lot of boxes ticked there Big in of terms that. of marketability. Yes. Who was in the Vanity Fair photo shoot? Okay, so um, she she gave him a full name. He needed a full name, so his name was J T. Leroy. And this is the name that was on from 1997 to like 2005. JT Leroy, JT Leroy, JT Leroy's a a talent, a once in a generation talent. He's a once in a decade publishing discovery. I mean, people were wetting themselves about JT Leroy. And, you know, it, I'm just looking for some um, quotes from like, I mean, he was profiled endlessly and um, you know with reverence because he'd overcome so much he had such a huge talent there was such an enormous appetite for him and people felt incredibly protective towards him plus the books and the raccoon penis bone merch was doing real (laughs) fucking well so Laura Albert and she realized that she needed a body.
0: A mm. human. Mm. Right.
4: And so some accounts go that she went down to um, the kind of downtown area of San Francisco where JT had purportedly kind of wrapped up his hustling life mm. and looked for young boys Big to risk. approach... This thing could just blow it all open. Mm, big risk, big risk. Then she was sitting at home, pr- probably. I mean, she was ta- she was caring for a young child while all this is going on. So absolute respect on that front. Like she was on a nap schedule, presumably, <laughs> fucking heating bottles to bullshit temperatures, and conducting like mass bullshittery on or a audition I mean, and, and writing yeah. and writing like Very it's no decent
3: f- fiction writing a book that yeah. is some that would most people's
4: main focus so she was sitting around the gaff one night at, at that all that thor is the child natch really she, oh, oh yeah oh, right and um he is he exists and her eye fell upon savannah noop her sister-in-law huh. jeff's Younger sister, good shade. Close family, close family. Keep it in the family. We let's can keep all benefit. Tight as a package. Yeah, because
3: they're obviously raking in the money from the sale of these books and the merchandise as well. Like and selling film rights. So the film rights to the two books, Sarah How the and money The Heart Is actually
0: being channeled to her. If she's interesting
4: using that you bring that up, because I read in one account that the initial book advance for the first book was paid out to a finger wag cousin by the name of joanne joanne will take my advance i'll just be over here twiddling my sure i'm 17
0: i may not even have a bank account totally
4: grant i've never had an address yeah i barely have a last name yeah so yeah that kind of shit was going down too i'm telling you frauding defrauding is very it's very time consuming i actually have a lot of respect for our spoofers sometimes but anyway she started dressing savannah up trying out different ideas Savannah was totally clued in, presumably, at this point. Totally clued in. And um, she was young herself, like, you know, about the same age, like 20, the same age J.T. Leroy was supposed to be. So, like, Mm -hmm. a presumed kind of time on her hands. She was kind of working as a waitress, like. And um, they put on sunglasses on her. They put on this kind of, like, platinum wig and a hat. And they created a look for J.T. Leroy. And that's the thing that, okay, I will admit, I didn't, I wasn't fully honest with you guys about... This person who was wheeled out as JT Leroy. Everybody knew that what they were looking at was a strange person. Okay, but they were prepared for that. Can I Google this it, now? Google. It looked weird to them. But everyone accepted that he needed to do that to feel comfortable in going out in public. Like Sia. Yeah, Exactly. Except it was just never mentioned. Like one profile in NY Mag Me. <laughs> refers to him simply as wigs and sunglasses, because it was more like a kind of the body was like a scaffold for these kind of ri- slightly ridiculous, preposterous things.
0: But at the same but time, but surely now, somebody at this no point was a bit green. like, ah, a f-
4: It's a it's an
3: it's a weird looking person. Like Everyone Andy knew they were looking,
4: Yeah, Andy Warhol esque,
3: kind of. If Andy Warhol and Owen Quig had a baby, <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's if so many different people had a baby. Like and it's Kurt Cobain, this is Macaulay female, Culkin, yeah. and Michael Jackson to me. For it's sure, it's not a good wig. I'll say that. No, not an expensive a quality d- wig. Attractive person, but it was never purporting to be real hair, and everyone knew that. Okay, Do you know what I mean, so I think that's kind of how it worked, and people were ready for this guy to look like fucking whatever because. Nobody had a blueprint for what does an ex-child hustler, child addict look like? Do you know what I mean? Like there
3: was just and also a lot of allowances being made. Yeah.
4: What we see again and again now is like as well. If you tell a tale so tragic, people can't bring themselves to question this.
3: Yes, you can't say that you're a an ex-lot lizard with a tragic childhood, and someone can turn around and you're HIV positive Mm. and you're very shy and you have all these issues. Someone cannot turn around and be like, "What the fuck is up with your hair?
0: But also, yeah, so what's your hair? But surely somebody was like, I hear lads.
3: Well, the
0: thing
4: is that kind of at the start, some of these kind of rumbling rumours were kind of started by Laura Albert slash JT Leroy. So, for example, in around the early 2000s, so like three years after his initial success, kind of around exactly when wigs and sunglasses materialised, there was kind of a rumour that like, Gus Van Sant was behind the whole thing. That's the director, the director I was talking ahead. about, who bought the rights to the other book. And... This was
0: a big stunt to that, promo...
4: The apparently they kind of like... Well, yeah, that was the kind of idea that Gus Van Sant was kind of punking everybody. Um, and apparently JT Leroy slash Laura Albert slash Gus Van Sant were kind of okay with people half thinking this because they thought it was kind of funny. And yeah. like, whatever. And like, so at a lot of the time he was the kind of originator of some of the rumors about him. So uh, for example, there was an item um, in page six in the New York Post gossip column where, um, so he called the New York Post to tell them that he and Asia Argento were going to have a baby. Mm. And then later on, he called back with Asia Argento on the line Mm. to confirm that the baby was a metaphor for the movie they were working on together. But also they did put about that like he was possibly pre-op in gender affirmation surgery, okay, or potentially fully transitioned. So they just allowed it to be so ambiguous.
1: But that has kind of to be it har-
4: Oh yeah, and totally. And that's what another set of journalists who covered him in those years when he was like just flying all over the world and given the t- getting talks from Bono and shit. One lot of journalists who kind of went traveling with them for a few days were like, yeah, there was something up, but we just were like, whatever
0: it is, this is too much fun. Exactly. But that's insiders. Can stuff. I ask a question? Please do. Where is Speedy through? And w- Speedy is
3: keeping a close is eye Speedy on everything. Your- is Speedy Laura? Laura.
0: Speedy is Laura. Right. It took our- us
3: far too long to realize that.
0: And, and so she's got speedy. an English
4: accent, don't she? And she's so got they a really go bad anywhere. English accent. You know, when Americans do an English accent, they like actually do fucking shit. Yes. She's got the worst English accent of all time. By the way, in this time, uh, Laura Albert's gone through her own transformation of sorts. Um,
0: so she. From poor to rich.
4: Well, from poor to rich, from single and committed to, and a ward of the state to being. Now a mother in her thirties, she also got gastric band surgery. Well, okay, there's loads of money. And dramatically altered her physical appearance with which what was bothering her the whole time. Yeah, which had been a major blocker for her, and. Now she's nearly as exciting looking as JT Leroy. Which is the worry, isn't it?
0: That suddenly <laughs> she's like, actually, actually, I'm well the one who deserves all this fame. And
4: she definitely got very <gasps> fucked off when JT Leroy slash Savannah started copping off with Asia Argento. Because in they real life, we're fucking. Yeah. And that was seriously jeopardizing this whole thing. Yeah, so Asia's
3: obviously in on it. No, no. Because, sorry, Asia thinks that JT Leroy is post op. Yes.
4: Uh, But Asia thinks that Speedy is like the most cock-blocky, annoying handler of all time. And the thing is that Asia has two relationships going on that she doesn't realise she's in. She has a phone relationship with Laura Albert. And a physical one. And a physical relationship with Laura Albert's puppet sister-in-law, Savannah. Hilarious. Now, there's so much speculation about the exact nature of their relationship.
0: Asia Argento has never She might have just been using her for a bit of... Like contact, no. f- high fame, or but is
4: it? But like, as in, they have I read a some stuff, beneficial like, relationship. No, I'm definitely not because she was deeply wounded, right? After okay, things came out. But, like, I read, for example, that like people were suspicious of Asia being so naive. And I read one commenter say, Am I supposed to believe that Asia Argento thinks there's such a thing as a completely perfect. Gender affirmation surgery in the early two thousands, right? So, meaning, did Asia encounter a vagina and think, "Wow, they're making vaginas really well these days"? I'm sorry if that sounds really insensitive, but like this is the early two thousands as well, yeah. like, so things were different. Uh, wh- is that in what that annoyed her? Realm that no, people thought she was fooled by. A f- like which, but no, I mean, I think that what that commenter was trying to call up into question was. How did they sort of budge this? I mean, it's possible that Savannah slash JT Leroy said, after what I've experienced, like, I need the lights off. Obviously. Or I need
0: yeah. you to not it would touch be me. A sensitive person. Yeah, sensitive I don't know. I mean, I think there must no be
4: major, major. But Jesus, also,
3: JT Leroy is, is identifying as HIV positive. Somebody. Yes. So there could, there mightn't have been any sex. They might have, like, he might have that that element of it might have come in to be the, to be the blocker there. Yeah.
4: There's definitely she was really desperately
3: betrayed
0: though. I mean that is oh well that is hideously so that
3: like it is it is considered rape if you deceitfully have sex with someone, leading them to believe that you're somebody Somebody else else, or or especially a different gender. Mm. Yeah.
4: It's, uh, it's definitely very murky so territory So how there.
3: did it all
4: implode? So how did it all implode? It imploded very gradually, kind of like a kind of detonation under the ocean. Who, like who sparked it? Sparked it um, a few different uh, outlets, two journalists kind of predominantly, one from the N.Y. Times, And one who wrote um, An Outing in the New Yorker. And they kind of did the definitive unmaskings. And it kind of started up with um, a picture surfaced of Savannah Noop at an art opening in 2003. And Ira Silverberg, the agent, identified that person as JT Leroy or who he knew to be JT Leroy. And he was corrected by somebody else and was like, no, that's Jeff's sister, Savannah.
0: Right. Uh Uh-huh. That's the downfall of being too close, I guess. (laughs) And we'd
4: always seen with them this kind of playing with identity Mm. and, you know, and the kind of charade of JT Leroy and what he looked like. I mean, really. I mean, interesting, though. She this was
0: fake kind English invi- accent woman wasn't rumbled for all we know of JT's voice. Yeah. This I woman mean, here appears to be putting on a terrible a Terrible accent. English accent. I wonder. But also, but I we're wonder. But de- we're much also
3: pe- dealing with a cohort of early 90s celebrities who were Just
1: in the midst of. Wants to be photographed. Uh, with yes, want to be is.
3: photographed, probably weren't paying that much attention to JT Leroy's minder. Mm. And. We're Good consuming point. a lot of narcotics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
3: if ever there was a situation to put on an ugly wig and pretend to be someone else, I'd say it's in the midst of Courtney Love in the early 90s. Uh,
0: Imagine Courtney Love. <laughs>
3: Hang on, I've just got to do a line.
0: dick swinging off her but neck. But there's a great picture there. Like, there's the the a room.
3: picture there of Courtney Love and JT L- Leroy. And all I'll say is it's hard to pick out who looks worse. Right. <laughs>
0: Harsh. In a sea of ridiculous people.
3: Now, also, never
4: underestimate the difficulty of an embittered childhood friend. Mother of God. Who knows about your spoofology. This is worth Googling. That picture,
0: the one of Courtney Love. Well, I
4: think we'll put a fair few pictures up with this creep type because there's a Absolutely. lot. Of so if you're listening to this, it means that you can access on the Instagram currently the pictures we're talking about. Um, but anyway, yes, never underestimate Dilarious. what a liability an embittered childhood friend can be. And basically, Jeff Noop, who was still riding through all this wave, despite the fact that Laura Albert had kind of semi-slightly tried to take up with Billy Corgan. Okay. Long, tangential side story there, but basically she actually, the first time apparently that she ever fessed up, it was to Billy Corgan during a long night of kind of barrings of the soul. Right. And according to Laura Albert, he like saw her soul, her soul saw his soul. Their souls jacked each other off and he was totally okay with everything. Did. Oh, I don't sorry. think we've sorry. ever heard from Billy Corgan on the matter.
0: Her soul told his soul the truth. Yeah. And he was cool. And
4: apparently he was totally cool with it. But like, who knows. Again, So anyway, Jeff Noop was still around even though this all was going down. And like, yeah, and he was like... Doing a lot of childcare. Yeah, I'm stuck here with Thor. My sister's over there boning hot Italian actress director. My wife's trying to bone Billy Corgan, the Corganator. There's <laughs> no
3: space for Jeff. There's no space for Jeff. And anyway, yeah, Jeff, but Jeff presumably is getting a big slice of the Jeff, pie here for just Jeff's keeping the secret. getting a big slice of the pie. Jeff's
4: friend, who was privy to everything, was getting no slice, and he wanted a slice. Here we go. And he started threatening... Jeff, I listened to a phone conversation where Jeff was trying to reason with the friend and he was like begging him to not come out to this uh, New York article written by Stephen. Sorry, it's the New York um, magazine article written by Stephen Beachy, um, who like completely outed all the fraud from beginning to end with this source. Uh, the friend, the child of friend of Jeff Noop, And like in this uh, phone conversation, like Jeff's like, just don't be like this, man. And like the child of friend is like, but I just can't actually stomach watching your bullshit anymore. It's grotesque. Mm. And it all just started to kind of come down like a house of cards. Was
0: anybody held accountable?
4: The main accountability was that a film company that had bought the rights to the hardest is deceitful above all things the second book and by the way they'd actually in the midst of all this published a third book so again i am like fairfax somebody That's was actually knocking work. out that work um and so they sued laura albert and um, and won and they had a huge settlement they clear her out? i mm, yeah kind of hard to say
2: no, not she Nearly weathered
4: genius. this oh. Allah, a rich white man, to be honest. So I'll kinda of go through who's our different players. Jeff Noop, easy. He's just yeah, you know, he's they've divorced, they've split up. Okay. Um, they he's got, they've got tour still. Okay. But he, and he's playing in his band still. Cool, cool. They did actually, I mean, this is another sign. There's so much to it that I couldn't even get into all of it, but they did try to get their band off the ground. On the back of the this. Ba- off the yeah. back of this. So their band was terrible and it's called Thistle and it's,
0: oh. I feel like Savannah's a real dickhead. Well, so Savannah
4: spent six years living a double life from the age of about 19 to about 25. She was waitressing in San Francisco Amazing. and then yes. she was going to the she was going hobnobbing, boning Azure Argento, posing with Courtney Love and then flying back into San Francisco, back into her like minimum wage, I'm a waitress in my early 20s. Pretending
0: to, to continue to on telling with telling
4: nobody. And she got a major kick out of it all. And then I suppose because she was the most anonymous of any of them, she actually slipped away. But
0: she effectively raped that Alicia woman.
4: <sighs> well, that was all... You know, um, we don't know. Well, no, it was really left really sour taste. Obviously, yeah. that is as your gento. I don't think has ever gone on the record and talked about any of this. Okay,
0: at all. I'm sure she feels humiliated as well.
4: Oh no, completely. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it is like a a betrayal on so many levels. It's really gross, and like you would question your your ability to judge people and everything. Absolutely.
3: Oh my god, you'd never trust. And he was she again. Yes, and I guess <laughs> she was, <seeing laughs> especially not people in wigs. I mean, mm-hmm. if there's
0: ever a person that looked like they shouldn't be trusted,
3: yeah. So, like,
4: there was kind of two years of fallout, and as I said, Albert was the one really held accountable. And yes, I mean, rightly so. so Savannah she was sued, slipped from public view, and, and s- so she Susanna was sued. And
0: Laura stayed. I imagine not
4: because Savannah who's kind of had a period of time as a clothes designer and now more recently as an artist. But in 2008, she decided that she wanted some more of this pie too and she published a book with Penguin Random House, Girl, Boy, Girl. So this came out in 2008, so only two years after the exposure of the whole spoofology. And so she wrote her entire account, wrote it all up in this book. Now, I don't know if the book did that well, to be honest, but Laura Albert was very, very cross about it. Right. So so when she heard that there was a book coming, she said, quote, I am not in any way connected with this book, and it disgusts me. Just because you play a writer doesn't mean you are a writer. I think Savannah is being motivated by money and attention. Pot's calling kettles black. Now that she's had to go back to being a civilian, this is her way of getting back to it. It's sad and it's sleazy. She's really stepping on my feelings. I'm not interested in making a career of JT. I am an artist.
0: She, in, look, uh, she obviously is. But she's obviously a talented she's writer. She's like, successful what, as Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. yeah, Yeah,
4: but like her damning of Savannah trying to cash in on money and attention is completely pathetic. Completely tone deaf.
3: Yeah. For God's sake. Am I right <laughs> in saying that there was a film made of Savannah's autobiography? Yes.
0: Oh. Curst Stewart. That oh. cause
3: cursed because all those pictures kept coming up of Cursten Stewart. Stewart. Yes.
0: And is it a big film? I don't
4: think it's actually In post yet. I think it's been shot. I'm not sure if it's actually landed. Oh. I'm not sure. I couldn't, uh, I can't say I actually.
0: I was thinking, I can't believe there's not a movie about this because it's. No, there is actually a couple
4: different ones. There
0: are. Yeah. Nothing massive. There's there's a long reading list from this. Is it really bad that I still want
3: to read the book? I'd still go for it.
4: Like, I think it sounds endlessly fascinating to me. Um, So, by the way, so I know Savannah now goes by They Them. And she is an artist and she looks totally fascinating herself. To be honest, I just looked at um, a write-up of a show she's in like just before um, Christmas there. That's Savannah today. What's the, exactly, what's the today situation? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. But very like intriguing looking person again. Could be male or female. And um, so uh, in terms of today, like Laura Albert has kind of, gone on to still have a career and that's what I was gonna say she's been a teacher she's taught writing like that's the kind of thing that I think people find really hard to kind of noodle out of this whole issue is like how they feel about the whole deception and how like where does kind of where does performance art merge with the art of fiction and like there's loads
0: of stuff like that. I sort of, of, I'm kind of enjoying the fact that she just made a fool of a load of famous (laughs) eejits as opposed to kind of like other spoofers we've had who've really preyed upon grieving people yeah like. and kind of vulnerable you know, people whereas yeah. these
4: were just people who were already Egypt. engaged in a level of spoof really like every kind Absolutely. of yeah. fame and celebrity is built on spoof of some sort which is how spin, she was know. sort of buoyed along I guess
0: on it totally, totally. Nobody was here's looking a at little anybody. fact for you
3: the film adaptation starring Kirsten Kirsten Kirsten
4: Kirsten Stewart Kirsten
3: Stewart and Laura Dern premiered in the toronto international film fest on september 15th 2018 it is due for release in ireland on march 29th
4: 2019 so they've just gotten some exceptional publicity ahead of the landing this is
3: amazing i love how we uh, are influencing culture like it's like the way the new Yorker did that piece because they listened to the creep dive
4: so can I like, give you Google? some final kind of uh, Did you know stuff? this was
0: coming out now? in a few weeks? No, because I just asked no. her. Did she know? No, I didn't she know. Did. Brilliant.
4: So, Laura Albert explained the circumstances of JT's existence in the Paris Review in 2006. She attested that she could not have written from raw emotion without the right to be presented to the world via JT Leroy, whom she calls her phantom limb. At her trial, Albert described JT Leroy as her veil. Now, I think where it all gets really distasteful is that he's not any old veil. He is an abused child. And that's, yeah. I think, what we can't get carried away. And she, as a and 30-year-old forget.
0: adult, yeah, pretended to be a Disturbed child. Disturbed
4: as she may be, but the thing is, all of her biography... Pre the mid nineties, I'm getting from her directly. So I watched a brilliant documentary called author, but it was made in conjunction with Laura Albert. So like we have to, you know, accept that everything in author is subject to the Laura Albert filter, Yeah, but it makes it no less, um, gripping. Really? It's really good. Do you remember The Devil and Daniel Johnston? Do you remember that documentary? It's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't watched it, everyone watch it. What is it? Um, The Devil and Daniel Johnston. It's about a a kind of a fringe musician um, called Daniel Johnston who was really, really talented in the early 90s but he was really, really ill, mentally ill and he just couldn't overcome those issues and um, it's a brilliant piece of film it's really good like everyone just watch it The Devil and Daniel Johnston okay. so that was made by Jeff Furzeig and the same guy makes this film called Author with Laura Albert that's all about this story and it's so good you can buy it to rent on YouTube you act, you cannot spoof it and stream it but I rented it on YouTube and it was well worth it Okay, and it's really well made it's really well done what they have is Hours and hours and hours and hours of audio. and of all, all of these famous of these, people's conversations. Yeah. Laura Albert, like, pathologically recorded every fucking con- phone Brilliant. conversation she ever had. And they ran into a little sticky wiki when they published all of the psychologist, Dr. Terence Owens, sessions with well, you the young could Jeremiah. Argue
0: that he was the reason for all of this. I mean, he instigated... Yeah, I mean, yeah.
4: It's because it's... It's the scale of it and also, as
0: a psychologist, the
4: fact that he was duped. But the scale of the con suggests premeditation. But how and King, the financial
3: gain from the con yeah. suggests premeditation.
4: Although J.T. Leroy did donate money back to funds in aid of abused children. Side note to ease doesn't negate it I just don't think
3: it does and I think going back to the point that yeah she had a veil and she wanted to represent the world in a different way I just Mm. don't think you can't appropriate someone else's pain and suffering and call it your own and write from that perspective absolutely not because in
4: say art and stuff there's been loads of really interesting playing with this notion and there's actually a brilliant book by Siri Hustvedt Called the Burning World, that's set in the art scene, and it's all and it is completely fiction. But it's about a female artist who takes on a veil of a male artist. That's right. And um, her work suddenly is like more valuable. Oh my god! Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and it's a really <laughs> interesting meditation on all that shit. But as I said, if you make your veil an abused child, fuck you.
0: Yeah, you've made your bed.
4: Yeah. Um, so. That is the story of that was brilliant. The liar who spoofed the world. Very enjoyable. That and was a f- that I'm was sorry that was long, but was I swear great. there is still so much. More I want to do.
3: I want to. I want to talk briefly about why I enjoyed it so much. I'm going to keep it very short. <laughs> do. Uh, absolutely gripping. Many twists I did not expect. Never We've heard had it. con. I'd never heard of it. We've had con artists before. Never an actor in place. Never, so many uh, celebrities. People. So many celebrities' involvements. There's a lot of additional media here to now go investigate. Two films, yeah. Yeah. One with a theatrical release, and I love going to the cinema. was another doc- one called The Cult of J.T. Leroy. Sorry, but I didn't watch that one. It's another documentary. Three potential films, yeah. three books, which I'm presuming are on Audible, so three audiobooks to listen to. Mm-hmm. A wealth of of this stuff, stuff could here
4: have been to investigate. Series
0: in and of itself.
4: Yeah, I'm kind of wondering if, like, I don't know if anybody's done it. I didn't listen. I looked for some podcasts. Like, I listened, actually, to a bit of fresh air that Jeremiah JT Leroy did with Terry Gross, like, back in 2003. Like, I listened to an excerpt from an interview um, with Terry Gross, which was really funny. Like, it's so funny when you see such established media outlets you know, Mm -hmm. paying mind to this shit. Like, Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone writing, gushing write-ups. Like, the guy actually who did the unmasking of J.T. DeRoy in the NY Times, he's a journalist called Warren St. John. He's very kind of charismatic and, like, a very fringe character himself. And he had actually done, like, this really sincere and kind of sycophantic uh, profile of him in 2004, only two years before. There's loads and loads of brilliant long reads about it. Um, There is...
0: um, how did you know? Also, that? the you Guardian knew from reading this book when you were thirteen, you'd knew you'd know. I knew of
4: it. the book before it was outed as a con. Okay, like I just knew the book.
3: Same with the James Frey thing. Yeah. Sorry, and the final reason why I really enjoyed it is it became a very succinct theme that we ran with in yeah, this absolutely. week's episode of artist and writer cons. Yeah, Literary and Zaygeisty
0: as well with the AJ with creep of the week, creep Dan, of the week. Dan Mallory. Yeah. I'm not going to give you mine this week. No, I think we should do yours in a part two. Yeah, I think so. Do it next week? No, I have to. Because it's been so meaty this week. I want
3: to develop mine further. Okay, and I think that people are... We've now teased Mr. Hands. Like, <laughs> Do you know what the thing is? Everyone it become like a it.
4: running joke that it just never happens. <laughs> exactly. It's not ready, Sophie. <laughs> I'm not ready, not ready to release I'm still thing. working on yeah. it. It's like again, on yeah. Mother of Pod. Um, <laughs> also available on Tall <laughs> Podcast.
3: Please follow us on. Also, also by way, way, the way, Polly Saturday.
4: Vernon in The Guardian has written um, an interview with Savannah Noop. If people are especially interested in Savannah, who I, th- I think is really interesting in this, that's also...
0: Another source that I just wanted to cite. That was great. God, that, that was a fantastic enjoyable. story.
3: I go as far as to say my favourite creeped out story <gasps> so far. Ooh, now we're only like, nice. we're only a couple of episodes in or whatever.
0: Very good. So <laughs> um, still
3: take it. There's still time, but that yeah. was really good. Really unexpected. Yeah. Hurley enjoyed it. And I think the, I think you told it very well.
0: Thank well you. Exceptionally you. well.
3: I really enjoyed when you introduced Laura as a character. I and know. the way you told us all about Leroy. And Girl then Maya.
0: all right stop sucking her off
3: very good <laughs> um, i'm not finished i didn't come <laughs> oh Where's my god my okay, raccoon so we, penis but bo- wait
4: did anyone look up the raccoon penis bone no, <laughs> no i can't believe <laughs> they're so
3: much bigger us.
4: than you think they would be um <laughs> yeah,
3: right. this episode's incredibly long but let's finish it off by saying thank you saying thank you and we are going to do a live show Oh yeah! Oh, we are of course excellent.
0: We're going to do a live show, and we should start Here. telling people about that because okay, it's but not that far away. It's difficult for me to talk about this when I'm looking at a raccoon holding a bone of raccoon penises. Um <laughs> <sad>. <laughs> That is not the thing. I'd say one of the few animals with a physical bone in their penis. penis. I know. I was like, is that possible? And um, is that a metaphor? How did she fold it away? Everyone? <laughs> I think it became
4: a retrograde, retroactive metaphor. What did she describe
0: um, the guy as? Her phantom limb. Phantom limb slash veil. Anyway, we're doing a live show. We're doing a live show.
3: Thursday, the 21st of March in Mutiny Theatre in Dublin 2. There's 39 tickets available. Details will come very soon. Keep an eye on at the Creep Dive on Instagram and at Tall Tales Podcast for details and links to tickets. And we will release those very shortly. Let us creep you out in person. Come come, be creeped out in person Thursday come afternoon. You're basically. Can of wine. We're taking what we do in Jen's house to a live public stage so you can see us recline. And we'll probably give Sophie the long one that night just so we can, so we can just sit for back and relax. I'm going to have a so beer. So you two can drink. <laughs> yeah, and have a great time. Oh, and the Heck of you from we might even just sit in the crowd it's more comfortable <laughs> <laughs> okay don't forget to
4: rate and review Thank please you. do rate
3: review subscribe all that good it stuff. all helps
0: that helps us Bye. bye bye, bye.